0: Hi. Uh, God, I've had such a good time here, even just in the last couple of days, and I want to say massive, massive thanks to, to VSC for having me. Um, and uh, I had incredible uh, meetings today with some of the residents to talk to them about, about their writing. Poems were so dynamite, and I was, felt so energized when I was done. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself, and then I walked around for about three minutes and realized I had to give this reading tonight, and I was terrified. (laughs) So um, thank you so much um, for having me, and I'm going to start out by reading a few poems from this book, Debacle, Debacle, Uh, and then I'm going to read from this new Behemoth, which is 180 pages long at this point. upon seeing again the thriving. When I start talking, be prepared to be hit by something, something I want you to know. Today the streets seemed green with glow, and I looked at all the people, the men and the women, the young and the old. I told them my name, and I asked them theirs, and they told me poplars. They told me the dictionary and knew it as terrific. They spoke to me of autumn leaves, sentimental, spectacular, park benches and blue jays, collisions of flowers with gaslight anthems. Now I celebrate it. I ruin the ruins. I ruin all the naysayers, all the frowny-faced skeptics. Life is so messy. I continue to be charmed and you continue to be charming because you are someone I love. And yes, I do feel terrible at times like a fuck-up descending a staircase, woozy with nectar and too much trouble. Frustration I get and discouraged I get. I get, too, that sometimes good judgment in an instant requires clarity and everything else requires forgiveness and faith. And also, I realize here the abstraction I'm winging, so to put it more concretely, I am happy being beside you as fraying as we are. The grass is forever, the sky is sky-colored, and later when we're not together, you will call me and I will pick up the phone and we will talk for hours about the death of a star, the death of death, our connected disconnectedness or disconnected connectedness. This seems correct and ridiculous and true. I'm so glad you get it. You get me, and I get you, the end but a glitch in the nervous man's system, and tomorrow, the morrow, even weirder. In memory of somebody else's feelings. When I remember somebody else's feelings, I want to be warmer, in love with October and located somewhere specific. My kitchen with the bright light windows letting in, or my back porch with its view of the two big maples, or right here surrounded by notebooks and book books, mechanical pencils, postage stamps, that letter on the coffee table that I have to mail to Jane. I have to mail it yesterday. Oh, yesterday and all those swirling feelings, she called to say that New York's been a massive adjustment. But now she's playing music in a band. She can't remember the name, but the way it suddenly seems like there's too much work work and not enough living beyond the rips in time and space. Huh? Huh? I'm not sure what she means by rips in time and space, but she sounds anyway like fireworks displaying their exuberance in the sky over Brooklyn in July, so metaphysics, physics are all right by me. Whatever works, works, and whatever doesn't should take a cue from Triceratops and forget about it. Be a fossil, be a bygone, be a wallpaper pattern in the heavy-duty silence. Jane will work less and play more her accordion. On the other hand, Nate will write poems in his car, thinking of Allen Ginsberg and Frank O'Hara and what the self has to offer other similar selves when it gasps or blusters or offers up a hand to somebody fallen through the ceiling or just fallen from tiredness describing a leaf or a bird as it's singing something cloudy all its might. We love the birds because they defy gravity, but also they are nasty They are covered in oily feathers and lice and fussy Latin phrases. They are just like us when we get down to it and face the music which shakes the interstate and somehow also makes us light. Nevertheless, our flights are only fancy or lost in the guts of some roaring hunk of takeoff and landing and trying not to die. But those aren't Nate's worries. Those worries are mine. Nate's in his auto, on automatic pilot, feeling a bullion and saying so without fear of reprisal, without a care in the world what the cynics will expect. They can say it's sentimental, but it won't make any sense. What does a critic really know about feeling? Especially somebody else's. Especially yesterday, my wife came home from work exhausted. My daughter pulled Hazel's hair on the playground. I sat around all day with my dumb broken foot, wishing I was a man with two feet on the ground, two wings in the blueing, this living room, my prison. Today it's raining and nobody's near me, yet I'm reflecting on the feelings of my family, my friends in their long distance, and yes, of course, I'm thinking about myself, as unformed and rubbery and shifty as I am, I am, I am an inconsistent person. I live for contradiction, for the strange new arrival, the mistake, the failure, the marvelous conversation, the pain in my nervous, the electrical heartbreak of everything terrible and beautiful about being. I say things to people and they say things to me and we are moved to each other, to dispersion and connection, of fusion and dismay. The world isn't too much with us. Nothing is too much. Nothing is too crushing, too joyous, analytical, or pounded through our skulls, our skin, awake, asleep, and ever in between, our dreams. To remember someone else is to remember oneself. And to remember oneself is to be a self in motion and potentially alive to the possibilities of living. This is what I think when I remember your feelings. And I bet that when you remember my feelings or somebody else's feelings that you do this too, face to face with yourself. And think about one thing leading to another, one person to another, one line to make a difference. I bet that's the case when any person pays attention. I feel like that's right, but I don't know. So, as I mentioned in that poem... Uh, most of this book was written after I uh, had broken my foot in a, in a freak poetry accident in Dean Young's <laughs> bathtub. And I had a lot of time to sit around and feel sorry for myself. Uh, and my friend Nate Pritz was like sending me poems every morning and prompts so that I would have something to do while I laid there on the couch feeling sorry for myself. And one day he sent a poem called In Memory of My Feelings, which was an imitation of Frank O'Hara's In Memory of My Feelings. And then I wrote back to him in memory of somebody else's feelings. This is called To You at 40 from me right now. you were four and I'm 40 and it is Friday at 4.40 in September 2010. I've been waiting for this moment to tell you some things, or maybe this moment has been waiting for me. It's hard to know much of anything, but everything seems in perfect alignment, and I'm not one to argue with perfection when I can find it, though I do take issue with the way things seem. Here's a grain of salt for you to take me. The two of us kicking a ball in the yard This morning we were running late, and when you couldn't find your rabbit, you cried, so I helped you look for her, but then I couldn't find her either. You took a pony to school to show your friends instead, and I came back to a mountain of work and looking some more for your rabbit. Another cup of black coffee. Another list to check off this lucky and frustrating life, this stressed out every second, this incredible constant scribble. At breakfast you made a drawing for me, and we talked about expression. I showed you pictures in a Cy Twombly monograph. You said, those are just like me. And then, one of the sculptures you compared to the bones in your arm. And I thought of dinosaurs, but didn't bring it up. And when I showed you the Basquiat drawings, you pointed to one with a coal black face. That's me when I'm angry. And a few pages later, you were tickled by a monster with one pink ear colored pink. Why is that one pink, you asked? And I said, because expressive works aren't necessarily about the way things look, but about the way the artist feels and thinks. You made another drawing with bright, fast strokes. Rabbit exploding with a runway tongue. Devil, blue devil in a suit with a contract. Everything happens so fast, I can't take it. Yesterday is already tomorrow, and the next day. The grass and the leaves on the trees stay green, and then... Suddenly it's Halloween, it's July, I'm in China, you're in Martha's Vineyard, you're at King's Island. If you're reading this poem, I am 76, or maybe I am not. You miss me, or I miss you, or we miss each other, even in the midst of being together. It is always this way with people. Call me right away when you get this. I always like reading that poem and I remember that day like really vividly um, looking for the rabbit. I mean a lot of times, you know, I'm not a poet who like sits down with something to write about. Like I don't have things that I'm going to write about. I sit down and I, I start describing like what's on my desk or like what just happened in the last five minutes and I see where that takes me and hopefully it takes me to something that I had on my mind that I had no idea was on my mind. And with that poem, I mean, I always think of that, that day with like sort of great fine fondness, but then whenever I read it, I realize how dark it is. Um, my daughter's seven now. She will, she will show up many times in these poems. This is called The Shadow of the Valley. Just to keep things dark. Is everybody doing okay? All right. The shadow of the valley. The shadow of the valley is a placeholder for the valley. A reminder that a body stands between those stands of bleachers or this stand of trees or the neighborhood watchers standing around watching birds fly back and forth from their nests to the gardens in every Westwood neighborhood, all the while casting shadows that somehow don't look like birds but like people wondering what's going on. Like Marvin Gaye in his song, What's Going On, from his album of the same name. On the cover, he's wearing a red wool hat, an image my friend used in something he wrote and then later read in front of an audience in Iowa to get them to participate. When I say, red wool hat, he said, you say, Marvin Gaye. Red wool hat, he said, Marvin Gaye, we said, got murdered by his father in 1984 under somewhat confusing circumstances. But there was a gun involved in an argument, so how confusing is it? It isn't like we don't know what happens when people pull triggers at people, even in broad daylight, listening to The Clash singing Somebody Got Murdered, which was a song on their triple album set, Sandinista. The Sandinistas were socialist rebels who came to power in Nicaragua in 1979 by overthrowing Anastasio Somoza de Baile, a dictator friendly to the United States. The United States has been friendly with lots of dictators. Anastasia Somoza de Bay was only one of them. Saddam Hussein was another. Dictators usually meet horrible ends. Many videos on the internet attest to this. Recently, the immediate events preceding the death of Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi were captured on a cell phone video camera. He has blood running down his face and can be heard to say, Do you not know the difference between right and wrong? Later, he was ended with a gun or maybe many of them. No one really knows. Sometimes dictators are ended with guns, but often, as was the case with Gaddafi, they are beaten first or dragged through the streets. I would not like to be dragged through the streets or beaten by a mob or ended with a gun. I would not like to be ended at all. As I bet you also would not like to be ended, though we both know that someday will be the last one we get. And this causes some confusion and trepidation and fear because nobody knows what death is, but it's pretty certain that on that day we will be utterly alone. Even if there are people who we love right beside us, they will not go with us. If we're lucky, they will sing us an old favorite song or open a window so we can listen to the birds. Okay. Uh, So I've been writing this poem for about two years. Uh, And it's a long sequence, as I mentioned, which is, it's about 180 pages long at this point. Uh, It's called Radiant Action. And I got the phrase radiant action while I was reading Charlotte's Web to my daughter. Uh, I didn't read Charlotte's Web when I was a kid. I didn't see the animated version on on TV. So this was like a totally new experience for me. And most of you probably have read that book, but there's a a point where Charlotte the spider sends Templeton the barnyard rat out to get more text so that she can write it in her web and save Wilbur the pig from being slaughtered. at one point, Templeton comes back with an advertisement for laundry detergent that says, and now with even more, new radiant action. And I loved that phrase. I loved like the warmth of that phrase. And I loved how it felt like it was sending out particles and banging me in the head. And I said to my daughter at the time, I was like, God, radiant action, that's such an awesome phrase. And she was like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but I, I carried it around with me. And, and I started to think I started to try to think about ways that it could be used in a sort of non uh, a non-commercial context. And after a while it sort of occurred to me that like anytime you go to a poetry reading or you make a work of art or you come to something like this, you commune with people, right? You're you're engaging in or maybe even perpetrating a kind of radiant action. Like you're gonna you're going to say things. People are going to say things to you. Things will happen as a result of somebody like viewing your work or, or hearing you read, and you never know what will happen. It's like the great joy, in some ways, of, of being an artist that like outlives all of us and, 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 and has nothing to do with right now. It has to do with like what happens after. So I started writing these poems in response to that these sections of this poem. And I also started to think about ways that radiant action had sort of played into my own life. I swear I'm going to stop talking and just read poems. Uh, I played in punk bands for almost 25 years. And I think that um, some of the first radiant action that I ever experienced was uh, in basements listening to music at ridiculously loud volumes with other people throwing their body against my body. And the reverberations of that, the resonance of that, the weird closeness of that, even the violence of that, like, has stayed with me. So this poem, there are a lot of, like, references to uh, hardcore bands and speed metal bands and all of that kind of stuff. The, The only other thing I would say is that uh, I wrote a lot of this last summer. I, I, was, I was fortunate to get a, get a grant that sent uh, my family and I to, to Lake Michigan, to this place that we go on Lake Michigan where we can usually only go for like a week, and we were able to go for almost the whole summer. So I spent a lot of time just staring at the lake and watching the waves come in, which is also a weird kind of radiant action. So here we go. Uh, most of these don't have titles. Pro- maybe one will have a title at some point. And if anybody has questions, and especially if you have answers, please talk to me, because <laughs> I need to know them. And I hope those of you I haven't met yet, I'll really get to meet, and I, I really am so honored to be here and I you know I told the writers yesterday, but I, I want to tell you all like anything I can do. Like I am totally at your service. I would love to see all your work. I can't wait until the open studios. Um, yeah. My inhuman being. Adrift in contradiction. Why align oneself with anything limited? One can take a whole great lake in one's mouth. The robin in the nest outside my window with her eggs. Right now outside my window with her eggs in the rain. Inside, my books break a sweat just to whisper ordinary language, how to do things with words, how to discover the ghost in this machine. Under its skin is a pomegranate seed. We plant it in Afghanistan and grow it up and teach it to read the looks on the faces of children. Constellations. The devils are in me. The angels are in me. Cat piss couches and sweet kerosene in me. My mind crushes everything. I crush a can on everyone, I fall in love in every dream, in every single poem, I die of exposure and heartbreak and aestheticity, that quality of art that reminds us we're alive, that fills us with desire and empathy and light, the engine of beauty, the song of the sublime, in fact my ears are ringing, I'm at work to wake up typing, the bells of the church up the street care to chime, and later, peppered bacon i will wrap around a scallop i will get a good sear on it i will think about the ocean the pig and its sty anything worth saying can be rendered as an aphorism might itself be an aphorism just so you know my phrase of the moment is radiant action In love with the sound, in love with the sound, the pulse that beats, the breath that flows, and we'll scream along, the anthem goes, until our hearts stop. For the longest time, I've been waiting for some goddamn command or at least to be exploded and charismatic in the field. But I am only a soulless car and driver magazine on a coffee table in Lyle Bell's Barbershop in 1975 or 666. The number of the beast sacrifice is going on tonight. It's Iron Maiden or little moths in a porch light and also... Me telling you, I've never wanted, I never wanted Lyle to be the one to cut my hair the way I've always also wanted to be a fastidiously clean punk rocker even under my nails. At 43, I know a few more things than I knew at five or six. Actually, I know a lot more things, not to mention some people and places too. Anybody who says everything they learned they learned in kindergarten just sounds like they must not have tried very hard after kindergarten. <laughs> Back then, George was the one who cut my hair. Lyle was too loud and too close to the ear. I remember one time crying in his chair with a tarp over my head. Really, it wasn't Lyle's fault. I was a weird little kid, and the bell in his name kept ringing the second coming. I never knew George's last name, not even after kindergarten. He was friends with my father and grandfather. He cut their hair. But sometimes Lyle Bell would cut their hair if there was a long line of men against the wall waiting for George. It's funny. My grandfather Hart met my grandmother Hart in a mental institution where he was a barber and she was a laundress. Before that, she taught school in a one-room schoolhouse. I met my wife, Melanie, who is an art teacher in a record store, which sounds really retro and cool, as in a place that sells black and variously other-colored vinyl records and pot-smoking equipment, but they sold CDs, which are inferior in every way to records, though not as bad as MP3s, which don't even exist. Have you ever held one in your hand? Have you ever looked at it in its grooves? It's not even cotton candy. It's just invisible, man. Melanie teaches at a giant school with many rooms. And she has one all to herself. It is not a house, and the children are not her children. They are her students. Every year, one of them decides to use the scissors to cut the hair of one of his or her peers. It makes a mess, and they all go home looking like 19th century mental patients or Eddie on the cover of any Iron Maiden record, especially Peace of Mind, where he's chained up in a padded cell wearing a straitjacket. One would think the chains sort of negate the whole purpose of the padding. Metal's great, and I don't mean that ironically. I mean it has power, second only to punk, but it's also overblown and radioactive from the barrel of a gun. It's never too late to get serious. My gray hair is here to stay. My grandfather died in 1988, but my grandmother lived on nearly 20 years more, much of it in a nursing home where she didn't know her name. Sometimes terror even happens in my dreams, as it does in the world, both asleep and awake. Fame is the noise one makes in one's time. A baby starts crying, so a window must be open, and now its cry is famous. I am mostly, if not already, gone. Last night, a beetle walked the length of my arm. An uproar ensued, and my hair grew exponentially. I ran toward the light but I couldn't wake up, and the generals just stood there looking baffled. Walk on the wild side, burning leaves, smell of fall, but it's summer, smell of summer, but it's fall, away from apple trees, the worm in my brain, MLK Jr., his day and his dream, a rhyming song my daughter sings. And then I go back to the noises. Man in broad daylight comes to meet in the street. Agnes hears it at school from another kid whose parents are clearly idiots for letting their first grader look at images of a man with blood on his hands, brandishing a butcher knife, etc. Now Agnes is afraid to go to sleep. What if a man cuts my head off with a knife she wants to know, and I tell her it won't happen because it won't? But of course, And I don't tell her this, anything is possible, even the unspeakable. I can't make it better, but I make it better for her, and she goes to sleep, snuggled up with her lion, the one that Dean and Laurie sent her when I was gone so long, in Texas, August to December. I love so much the irrational in art, but hate so much when it ruins someone's life. Not the irrational in art, but the irrational, relentless, butchered in a London street. There are no good reasons, so no way to explain it. People are angry, and I can understand it. I, too, look wildly about. But then I remember the small and large happinesses. Still, I don't want to be part of the exclusion, the divisiveness. I want for the lives in the air all around me. MLK Jr., his day and his dream. So now, if you'll allow me, Lou Reed and dancing, a Spanish stew with olives, laughing and typing, earnest and awesome. If you come to our house, we'll invite you in to eat. All our best friends by the roomfuls are clouds. Now, don't be afraid and don't cry. Go to sleep. Now that I'm over the famous necromancer and have finished my Sunday run, I've cracked my life into black pepper or cracked black pepper into my life. I don't know exactly what I mean by that, but I just put a bunch of it on a spinach salad, and this is clearly not a novel. <laughs> Writer David Markson died in his bed in New York City, 2010. The necromancer is either from Shakespeare or Slayer, I'm not sure which. Jeff Hanneman, one of Slayer's guitarists and a founding member of the band, died this year either from complications of necrotizing fasciitis contracted from a spider bite or alcohol-related cirrhosis of the liver. This just in, cirrhosis of the liver. Kind of disappointing given Slayer's connection to Satan. You'd think the fallen one could make death a lot cooler than cirrhosis of the liver, especially for a rock star. In one scene of Dante's Inferno, Dante the Pilgrim and his guide Virgil see a sinner coming toward them, but a snake darts out and strikes the sinner's neck, whereupon he flares up and turns into a heap of ashes. Then the ashes gather back together in the shape of a man. Meanwhile, all of this is coming together in the shape of a poem, and my daughter Agnes and her friend Hazel are digging up worms in our backyard, then putting them in jars with more dirt and pink flower petals. I asked them if they would like to be dug up and put in a jar with dirt and pink flower petals and the answer with a lot of giggling and squealing is a resounding yes. (laughs) That didn't go quite the way I thought it would, I should know better. Both of them are six and already know everything. This life of black pepper, necrotizing fasciitis a jar of pink flowers and earthworms and dirt. Little children are not afraid to get down in the dirt, but I am afraid to get down in the dirt, to get down in the dust near the city of Dis, to gather back together in the shape of a man, only to be struck there again and again. Black holes surround us with ecstatic possibilities. Shut the hell up. Keep going. Uh, the poet Ted Berrigan, who I talked about with some folks today, is a favorite poet of mine. There's so many strategies in his work for making more poems. Um, he was never precious about writing poems. And in fact, uh, he has many, many poems that are just called Things to Do in blank. would be like Things to Do in Ann Arbor, or Things to Do in Ann's Room, or Things to Do at VSC. And then there would just be like a list of all these weird, amazing things to do. He also has poems that are called like uh, the 10 things I do every day, which usually it's it's like a list of 50 things and they're all ridiculous and most of them are lies. Uh, But he has these poems that he based on Frank O'Hara's personal poem that are called personal poem. And he he always like, you know, they're occasional poems. They're poems written for a particular occasion. Not necessarily a celebratory occasion, just the occasion of right now. So there's a time, there's a place, there's a date. And he sort of talks about what he's doing. He like wanders off into the ether of his own brain. This is kind of a personal poem in the midst of Radiant Action. Over the gray back... <laughs> Over the gray-brown, soon-to-be-green hills of Ohio, I slink around a slotted cow. I clunk around a razzle-dazzle. The sun burns down a couple of useless, probably derelict houses. It's a prophecy, I bet. Cincinnati better wake up and smell the disinfectant. And my friends better realize how unreliable I really am, an arsonist. Also, I love you more than a calcium tablet of bicycles or a rib fracture of bees, but the only part of that I mean is I love you. It's Sunday and too cold for spring, so I'm looking at a week of kindness or the seven deadly elements and thinking about my chances of surviving a chance operation on my back in the zinnias. Not likely. So, somebody ought to shoot that photograph. People. Don't live among scorpions and ghosts if I have anything to say about it, but I don't. So you should just keep going to heaven and eventually you'll come into your own bewilderment. I'll be waiting where I've fallen down below, your thighs and your nose in the trees. so convulsive. This isn't just talk, it's life and a poem on the fourth day of spring. I wrote it to you softly with intimate knowledge of your intimate things. I open a beer, I open a beer, I open a beer in bed, wildly hopped with tangerine. The birds and the bees come swarming our hair. This personal poem is number 13. This personal poem is lucky. So uh, I've written three poems since I've been here. They're all terrible, but I'm going to read one to you now. <laughs> Another section of this behemoth. Oh, this is, this is my penultimate poem, by the way. I'm not going to kill you with this stuff all night. Electrical charge and the currents, current, current. I can't remember anything that happened last night after I ordered that fifth IPA or from before I was six. Currently, I hear paint cans bleeding like shepherds in garages, eyes of wolves in the dark, dark light. Sometimes I don't recognize my own face when I look. So many trains go beating down the tracks of clouds and other tired images, their heads in their hands, but their cars full of heart stems that glow blue-red with birthday cake singers and sutra bringers. I don't want to be alone tonight. But I am, so I am, in a place far away, to get feral with creation, so to answer the gaps and the noise and the music, the music and the roses, so much needs reading to sound out in the world in. I go to bed in. I go to bed in. at twilight of six-pack, a carton of limbo. But tomorrow, I will learn how to make myself difficult without getting carried away in the rasp of a water bird or beautiful people bursting out of their socks. My feelings about it are both mystical and uncomplicated. I can't begin to get human enough to do the kind of good I want. So instead, I just remain here, stunned and rocked, my arms around the world with invisible love, and out beyond this little house hung over with spring, the magnolia with its blossoms is concerned not in a deep and treacherous pinkness of blossom. Oh, wow, I messed up. What time is it? All right. I actually have two more poems, but I'm only going to read one. And uh, I'll read the other one to anybody who wants to hear it right up against your head. (laughs) Thank you again so much. An ending is a strange place to find oneself. Standing outside, looking back at summer, looking out at blue water for the umpteenth time. Often even stranger is to connect the end of something back to its beginning to discover a third thing in the track they make. An unconscious message hidden between them, their motions entwined. When I connect the beginning of this to its end, I get... An ending is a strange place to find oneself. Or knuckle-headed jumble. Or I stumbled into the phrase radiant action last year while reading Charlotte's Web to my daughter and then a sort of wannabe beatific radioactive blur and a sound like gravel in the throat of a blue jay howling about being a living thing forever while staring at the Great Lake Michigan and worrying about the future so the blue jay is actually me. Now I get it. And besides all the worrying, I'm wondering about heaven as a metaphor, of course, since I don't actually believe in heaven, but I'd like to, and hoping that someday someone will recognize themselves in this, and it will be as if a great blast of electric light came into whatever darkness they possess, and as a result, they will be spurred to their own furtherance, their own thoughts, the discovery of their own sources of energy, their own new works with beginnings and endings, entwined and entwining, revealing better than I ever will, the history of this life, what it means to be awkward in awe, to be human in our time, to love one another with perfect abandon, with total resolve, descriptions of descriptions of waves forever breaking in to each other. We break against each other like clouds in the sky. Energy can be created and destroyed. I'm not too optimistic, but I refuse to be the opposite. The most impatient patient, I long to survive, and for my survival to be wrapped up in your survival. Several big blankets, flares, a first aid kit. I can't believe it's taken this long to get to it, but I'm coming around to the beginning of something via the end again. I'm reminded for some reason of Indian summer, The early California post-hardcore band, not the season of beautiful and crushing leaf color, the band has a song, Woolworm. Or rather, their fans call it Woolworm, or sometimes Angry Sun, because the band didn't title its songs. Do you know the song? If you don't know the song, it's okay. I can still make my point. You can still come to know it. Please, I hope you'll give me just another few seconds. I know this is long, but we're nearing the finish. If you do know the song, Woolworm, or Angry Sun, you know that at the beginning there's this haunted old blues recording playing, and it's scratchy, the ragged 78 of See If I'll Care by Bessie Smith, and it's ramped up with the rawest emotional torque, old-timey and beat the shit, and then come the guitars. Melodically and quiet at first, fat and bright and rolling with melancholy and the drums too, barely a rumble, and then... The vocalist comes in, lowly with speech, not singing, and it's almost inaudible, but people have posted the lyrics online, so I know he's telling a kind of story, third person limited and omniscient, about an angry son, something about too many bitten pills, and the ground so unsettled, so endlessly unsettled, and the song builds and builds, picks up texture and volume, then suddenly blast sight, fourth white lightning fills the sky a few bars full board twitching and roaring and on a dime turning back to its previous becalmedness mostly bass guitar this time a few trebly notes from the lead guitar and the vocalist again talking still melancholy lee the sound almost half heartedly about the angry sun and time spent moments in gravity and racing racing yelling softly but again the music begins to build, led by the drums. The sleeves roll up, the doors start to crack, a few raindrops peel off, and then, all at once, the downpour of heaven at war, drum smash guitars, the highest heights of high volume and torrential screaming vocals, this is the moment, this is the moment, I am the angry sun, and with that I the point of view shifts in the lyrics and the yelling goes on, intensifies what seemed an observation Becomes an admission A wounded declaration Ferocious with astonishment The noise finds its passion Its unalterable direction So many angles and edges and racket Then one final measure A wave of exhaustion And without any warning The wilderness closes up Falls away into cottony reoccurrence Blue Bessie Smith And speaking in a whisper This is the moment this is the moment, start with the blues, build to a scream, in with a whisper, start with the blues, build to a scream, end with a whisper. This is the moment, this is the moment, tough and fragile, the meaning falls out, the sky becomes a feeling of feeling have mercy thank you